MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. Today, the Dow takes a dive as Trump tweets that he won't consider a COVID relief bill until after the election. The vice presidential debate is tonight, but there seems to be some disagreement on the format. General Milley and other members of the Joint Chiefs are now in quarantine after the vice commandant of the Coast Guard tests positive. FBI Director Chris Wray issues a video about election interference. A Texas police officer has been arrested on the suspicion of murder in the fatal shooting of Jonathan Price. A superseding indictment is issued against the McCloskeys. The White House is not contact tracing. And Iran has agreed to pay $1.46 billion for the torture of former FBI agent Bob Levinson. I'm your host, A.G. All right, we have a big show for you today. I will be speaking with Margie Brown. She's running for Pennsylvania State Senate in the 25th District. That's going to be our Flip It Blue segment today. And speaking of Pennsylvania, I will be speaking with former U.S. attorney, MSNBC legal analyst, and University of Michigan law professor Barb McQuaid about whether Bill Barr violated his own rules with regards to the investigation into the seven ballots found discarded in Pennsylvania. And Dana Goldberg will be joining me for the good news later in the show. I look forward to that. Uh, Thanks to our patrons. You make the show possible. Thanks for supporting women in podcasting. To become a patron and get these episodes ad-free and the night before they come out, just head to patreon.com slash the daily beans. We have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So in my mind, in my AG mind, the lead story today is this video. Um, and it's a warning issued by FBI Director Christopher Ray. It was issued today. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Chris Ray, Director of the FBI. I'm joined by my colleagues, General Paul Nakasone, Director of the National Security Agency, Chris Krebs, Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and Bill Evanina, Director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. We want to talk to you today about an issue of great importance to all Americans, the integrity and security of our 2020 election. Next month, we will exercise one of our most cherished rights and a foundation of our democracy, the right to vote in a free and fair election. Some Americans will go to the polls on November 3rd to cast their votes, while others will be voting by mail. In fact, Some have already begun to return their ballots. But no matter which method you choose, your voice is important. Rest assured that the security of the election and safeguarding your vote is and will continue to be one of our highest priorities. The FBI is the primary investigative agency responsible for malicious cyber activity against election infrastructure malign foreign influence operations, and election-related crimes like voter fraud and voter suppression. We're not going to tolerate foreign interference in our elections or criminal activity that threatens the sanctity of your vote or undermines public confidence in the outcome of the election. At the FBI, we're working closely with our federal, state, and local partners to share information, bolster security, and identify and disrupt 
any threats. We're also coordinating with the private sector, both technology and social media companies, to make sure that their platforms are not used by foreign adversaries to spread disinformation and propaganda. And we're not letting our guard down. If we see indications of foreign interference or federal election crimes, we'll aggressively investigate and work with our partners to take appropriate action, including seeking criminal charges where warranted. As always, the men and women of the FBI remain committed to protecting the American people, our democracy, and the integrity of our elections. So I find it very interesting that he mentioned criminal charges, if necessary, in this video, despite Bill Barr's insistence that any investigation into any candidate for president or any candidate for Senate or Congress or any campaign for candidate, uh, any candidate or any staffer, or anything, anything, basically anything would have to be unilaterally approved by Bill Barr. Uh, this video could cost Chris Ray his job. Uh, you know, Politico reported a few days ago that Trump had floated the idea of dumping Chris Ray after the election anyhow. But we'll see what happens. We only have 28 days to go. And Trump has ordered his negotiators to halt talks over a new stimulus package after the two sides have struggled for months to reach a deal. Uh, this is a stunning move that puts an end to last-ditch efforts for a major economic relief package, as millions of us are reeling from the coronavirus crisis. Quote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election when, immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small businesses. This is a uh, Trump. This is part of a series of tweets that Trump issued today, Tuesday afternoon. His tweet tanked the markets. The Dow shed it almost 400 points as soon as he hit send. So good job. Uh, of course, the stock market is not the economy. The economy is not the stock market. But there you go. Trump's message stunned lawmakers, especially since Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Steve, and uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi have been trading proposals and negotiating for days in the hopes of narrowing their differences. Though they were still far apart in their talks, um, you know, they, they were still hashing it out. And Pelosi is now questioning the president's fitness to lead in light of this announcement, saying the White House is in chaos, disarray. Uh, also today, uh, and this is frightening, General Milley and other members of the Joint Chiefs are now in quarantine after the vice commandant of the Coast Guard, Charles Ray, has tested positive for COVID. Ray is not a member of the Joint Chiefs, um, but he was at Pentagon meetings last week with others who are. It's not clear how Ray was infected, though he did attend a White House ceremony on September 27th, just one day after Trump introduced Amy Coney Barrett at the, the Red Wedding, the super spreader event. Uh, multiple people at that event, as you know, I think we're up to eight now, have contracted COVID, including, and then Kaylee, and I think there's another uh, one of her uh, press staff that has uh, just tested positive. We just learned about that a minute ago. Uh, quote, out of an abundance of caution, all potential close contacts from these Pentagon meetings are self-quarantining and have been tested this morning. That is a Pentagon spokesman, Jonathan Hoffman. Uh, he says no Pentagon contacts have exhibited, exhibited symptoms and we have no additional positive tests to report at this time. Uh, it appears six of the seven members of the Joint Chiefs are quarantining, including the chairman, Mark Milley, and the vice chairman, Air Force General John Hyten. Other members include uh, the heads of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and the National Guard. So this is how Trump's carelessness puts national security at risk, in case you were wondering or had any question about that. And despite the White House being a viral hotspot, 
Uh, they have not started contact tracing and it doesn't look like they're going to. From the New York Times, the White House has decided not to trace the contacts of guests and staff members at the Rose Garden celebration 10 days ago of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, where at least eight people, including the president, may have become infected. And this is according to a White House official familiar with the plans or the lack thereof. Instead, it has limited its efforts to notifying people who came in close contact with Mr. Trump in the two days before his COVID diagnosis. Two days. Uh, Thursday, that he apparently his diagnosis was Thursday evening. That's the public reporting on it. Uh, it has also cut the Centers for Disease Control, uh, which has the government's most extensive knowledge and resources for contact tracing, out of the process. We don't need your CDC. Interesting. And it's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted. And from Politico, aha, a grand jury on Tuesday has indicted the St. Louis couple who displayed guns while hundreds of racial injustice protesters marched on their private street. Al Watkins, an attorney for the couple, confirmed the Associated Press uh, to the Associated Press the indictments against Mark McCloskey, 63, and his wife Patricia. Um, this is according to a spokeswoman for the circuit, attorney Kim Gardner, uh, but they have declined to comment. The McCloskeys, who are both attorneys, have become folk heroes among conservatives. They argue that they were simply exercising their Second Amendment right to bear arms and were protected by Missouri's Castle Doctrine law that allows the use of deadly force against intruders. The case has caught the attention of President Donald Trump, Republican Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Um, they, who Mike Parson actually said he would pardon them if they were convicted. Um, they were also featured speakers, the McCloskeys, at the first night of the Republican National Convention. How many indicted felons were there? I don't know. Let's play a game. They've accused the leftist Democratic St. Louis leadership for their plight. Oh, pobrecito. Uh, Gardner, a Democrat, charged the couple with a felony unlawful use of a weapon. That was before. Um, because she says the display of guns risked bloodshed on what she called an otherwise peaceful protest. But in addition, this is the superseding indictment. In addition to the weapons charge, the grand jury indictment includes a tampering with evidence charge. It is not clear what led to this additional charge. Now, what I think, and I've heard from some folks on the ground in St. Louis, that the, the tampering with evidence might have been that... Mrs. McCloskey tampered with her gun after the incident to make it look like it wouldn't fire, uh, maybe to lessen the charges. That could be my beans are on that being that's the uh, evidence tampering or they could have destroyed some home security video. They they also said that the protesters broke down the gate, but the gate apparently to the neighborhood was open. They might have tampered with the gate. I don't know, but I think it has to do with her altering the usability of her firearm. So we will see what happens there. Uh, and a U.S. judge has ordered Iran to pay $1.45 billion to the family of an ex-FBI agent who vanished during a visit to the country in 2007. The ruling awarded Robert Levinson's wife and children $1.35 billion in punitive damages and $107 million in compensatory damages for the kidnapping. There was no immediate response from the Iranian government, which has always denied knowing his status or location, U.S. authorities and Mr. Levinson's family believe he died in Iranian custody. In a statement, they described the ruling last Thursday by Judge Timothy Kelly of the U.S. District Court in Washington as the first step in the pursuit of justice. Quote, until now, Iran has faced no consequences for his actions. Judge Kelly's decision won't bring Bob home, but we hope that it will serve as a warning against further hostage taking by Iran. Also, the Central Asian nation of Kyrgyzstan plunged into political chaos on Tuesday afternoon. 
after opposition groups seized control of parliament and released their imprisoned leaders in protest over a parliamentary election they called rigged. Under mounting pressure from the protesters, the, the country's Central Election Commission annulled the results of the Sunday vote a day after having awarded the majority of seats to two political parties with ties to the president. Uh, this, is, this country is bordered by China, but strategically aligned with Russia. Um, it, it has been a focus of geopolitical rivalry between Moscow, Beijing, and Washington and other players since it gained independence after the Soviet collapse in 1991. Uh, the White House was set on fire there. That's what they call their capital, the White House, as well. We will keep you posted uh, on this. Over 600 are injured currently. And the vice presidential debate is tonight, but Mike Pence does not want plexiglass barriers around him at the vice presidential debate against Kamala Harris. This is according to a top aide to the vice president um, who spoke to CNN on Tuesday. Rebuffed the announcement uh, from the Commission on Presidential Debates that dividers would be used to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Quote, we have yet to hear medical evidence what the plexiglass is for. Weird sentence, terribly put together, and also stupid. That was from Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. Uh, Short said the Pence team doesn't have a problem if Harris wants to put a plexiglass shield to protect her from the virus at the debate, but the Pence team believes it's not necessary for the vice president to have plexiglass as well. The Washington Post first reported Pence's opposition to plexiglass. (laughs) I don't understand. Um, I would think mother would appreciate it, you know, as many barriers between him and the other woman as possible. A Pence aide also told CNN that Harris and the moderators, quote, can do what they want. Uh, But the vice president's team does not feel like having to follow along with this request. Mm. What a bunch of dicks. A Texas police officer stands charged with murder in the shooting of a 31-year-old black man after a preliminary investigation determined his actions were unreasonable. This is according to authorities. Wolf City officer Sean Lucas responded to a call about a possible fight after 8 p.m. Saturday night just north of the city center. Um, This is according to the Texas Department of Public Safety. Wolf City is about 70 miles northeast of Dallas. Quote, Officer Lucas made contact with a man later identified as 31-year-old Jonathan Price, who was reportedly involved in a disturbance. Officer Lucas attempted to detain Price, who resisted in a non-threatening posture and began walking away. Lucas used his taser and then fired his weapon, hitting Price. Price died at the hospital, according to the statement. Quote, the preliminary investigation indicates that the actions of the officer uh, were not objectively reasonable. Price was intervening in a domestic dispute and was never violent before Lucas shot him, according to S. Lee Merritt, the attorney for Price's family. Quote, the situation was resolved before law enforcement arrived, according to witnesses. Why this officer still felt the need to tase and shoot Jonathan is beyond comprehension. A preliminary autopsy report from the Dallas County Medical Examiner's Office provides few details aside from the cause of death, which is gunshot wounds. A full report is expected in six to eight weeks. We will keep you posted. And finally, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, when the Justice Department recently publicized an ongoing investigation of potentially improperly discarded Trump ballots, critics accused it of violating longstanding agency policy against interfering in an election. But the unusual decision to publicly detail the Pennsylvania case may also have run afoul of guidelines that Attorney General Bill Barr himself penned in a memo to federal prosecutors this year. Uh, This memo was obtained by ProPublica, and I'll be speaking with former U.S. Attorney Barb McQuaid about this story later in the show. But coming up next, we'll be talking with Pennsylvania State Senate candidate Margie Brown for the Flip It Blue segment. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Plush Care. 
Now more than ever, you really shouldn't put off seeing a doctor when you're not feeling well. And I know that with everything going on, it can be difficult to put your health first, but it's important too. And that's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. Scheduling an appointment, even for the same day, is super easy. You just pick a slot that works and bam, you click it and book it online. I don't waste time on hold on the phone or sitting in a crowded doctor's office. That's not safe. And with my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home, even in my jammies. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and even have a prescription sent to my local pharmacy if I need. And that all happens within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after the visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team. Plus, Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed... Uh, you know, who isn't? Plush Care doctors are here to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been super easy. Uh, it was a breeze to sign up. It only takes a minute. Uh, and it's just so, so easy to schedule an appointment. Like I said, a couple of clicks and you're done. The entire process has been convenient. I was immediately comfortable and felt very confident with my doctor, too, because all Plush Care doctors have graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country. They're highly rated by their patients, so I have peace of mind that I'm getting the highest quality care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it. With Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor, and neither should you. So, make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. I'm And joining me today, I'm so excited. She wrote in for our good news segment. She is running for Pennsylvania State Senate in District 25 against Chris Dush. I'm going to say Dush. Uh, And uh, (laughs) she's currently the vice chair of the Democratic (laughs) State Committee Rural Caucus. I like to call her the unsinkable Margie Brown. Margie, how are you? (laughs) You know that reference. That's wonderful. (laughs) I'm well. How are you? (laughs) I am doing great. And I'm so happy to have you uh, on to discuss because as you told us in the Good News segment, you went a little viral on the Internet because uh, of a of a Biden sign that went viral. And next to that Biden sign were a couple of signs for you, Margie Brown for State Senate, Pennsylvania State Senate. And I was hoping you could, first of all, tell us maybe a little bit about that or or what I really am also interested in is if you tell us about the, the demographics of District 25. What are the characteristics? What makes it such a special district? Oh, yeah. So it's easy to talk about one with the other because the sign that my signs were next to said rural, not stupid, Joe Biden 2020. So um, I was afraid to repost that. We are a rural, completely rural district, small towns, um, no big cities. And uh, I was afraid to repost that because um, I know some people would see it as divisive on its own. Luckily, it was in the Philadelphia Inquirer and the uh, vice chair of McKean County Democrats explained what it meant. We're, we're, we're tired of being stereotyped. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things like who's to blame for this? Oh, it's those rural people. Um, no, we, you know, that's, that's not us. We're not stupid. Um, we, we know when we've been had, um, we're, we're going, I think for Biden this time, I'm, I'm almost hundred percent sure it's hard because there's a lot of uh, signs out there and, and it's, 
very loud on the other side, but I think we're going for Biden this time. Wow. Excellent. That is awesome. Now, rural communities face very specific uh, needs and and challenges. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, first of all, because I want to dive into your platform here. And right now, everybody I'm talking to seems all the constituencies are very, very concerned about health care. And I know that, mm-hmm. in you know, we've talked to a lot of candidates in rural areas. They're health care deserts, right? There's not a lot of facilities in, in rural areas and a lot of obstacles to access to health care. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your platform and what some of those obstacles your constituents face are and how you want to overcome them. Yes, and, and you're right. Um, not necessarily deserts, but they're becoming deserts. And I'm afraid that the business model that is being used um, to fund hospitals and healthcare is not right for rural areas. Uh, I was born in a rural hospital, and actually, my grandfather was a doctor. He delivered me. My uncle was supposed to. He was also a doctor, um, but he was out of town. <laughs> Those two delivered two generations um, in one of the counties in the district, Cotter County, and. Um, they took care of all kinds of other things too. They, they sewed people back together. They treated people for everything. And, you know, we're talking about 1968, everybody was well cared for in a rural hospital. There were no problems with that. Um, it, there's no reason that this basic health care shouldn't be had everywhere in our district. Right now um, in King County, another county in our district, um, women have to travel into New York state in order to give birth. Um, that's unacceptable. They get a they get a New York State birth certificate. Um, there are other hospitals that are on the verge of shutting down. Um, it's it's just unsustainable. We have very expensive helicopter or ambulance rides to get anything taken care of that's the least bit serious. Um, if someone has a you know a major heart episode, uh, car accident. Um, I live in a location where the helicopter goes over my house constantly. So um, that's, that's expensive and and the pay is low in these areas. So um, our medical bills don't cost any less. In fact, they cost more with the travel figured in and uh, it's, it's, it's hurting our communities. Uh, Not only that, that we, we have lost a lot of our healthcare workers because of this. And these are people that make up the fabric are, of our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with all this job loss, um, because of the, you know, the economy's in a free fall because of, um, you know, the mismanagement of this pandemic by the Republican administration and Republicans all the way down the ballot. And, and you know, with health care tied to employment, so many people, um, 10 million with the economy and an additional 20 million, they're trying to kick off health care by currently fighting in court. Uh, and then we have 100 million people in this country who who have pre-existing conditions. That's just tens of millions of Americans, and it it impacts everyone down to the smallest district and the smallest precinct. And so I'm really really glad that you're going to fight for health care. Oh, absolutely. And and as far as pre-existing conditions, we have a lot of them here. Our population is aging and shrinking. Um, actually, until the pandemic, when people started coming in from the city and buying up camps and houses, and I don't know what the demographics would be like at this point, um, you know, most of the population, we were losing 10,000, uh, like, just between now and 2016, I think we might, may have lost 20,000 in our district. Wow. 
So, um, yeah, so they, they leave and they don't come back. There aren't jobs here. Um, part of that is infrastructure problems. Broadband is a huge issue. Um, just connectivity in general. You, you cannot have a job um, <laughs> where you have to be in touch with your employer or customers or anything and have your cell phone dropping out all of the time. In fact, I had to make sure I was back here from Clinton County after meeting there uh, with like what is like their chamber of commerce um, because, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do this on the phone in another mm. location. So yeah, I rushed back home for this interview so, just to make sure I had cell phone service. Yeah. And those that do work are working from home. So broadband is incredibly important. And also uh, our kids, you know, are doing some online learning some in some places. And so it's very, very important. And it's also important for economic development, like you said. And also in your community. Um, there's a couple other things here that you talk about on your platform, including um, improving local water and sewer systems and affordable quality housing. Can you talk about that? Yes. Oh, so, well, that has changed a little bit just since the pandemic. Um, there, there's actually less housing now. Um, when, when I say affordable, the, the quality figures into that. Um, so we have a lot of homes that are um, owned by landlords, and it's not necessarily affordable for a lot of the people who work here to buy a home. Um, but if they do buy one, a lot of times there's a lot of work to be done on it. So we do need more housing, whether it's in the form of apartments or I have seen some projects that we have done in the past in some of these areas where the housing has been built and then purchased. Um, it, there are different partnerships that go into that um, and that's worked out pretty well. But we, we need those things. Um, and our water and our sewage, what we have is the inflow and infiltration issues here. So uh, we had, I'm on city council here in St. Mary's, and we actually had um, some constituents come in and they had sewage backing up into their, you know, basement mm. through their drains. Um, which is nasty, but this this is the problem. We have crumbling infrastructure, and that includes the pipes, the things that people don't see, um, but it also includes the things that we do see, and that would be like bridges and roads. We have potholes everywhere a lot of the time, um, and we we actually had a bridge in Ridgeway, which is Elk County, um, collapse while they were working on it. It was an awful video to watch, um, but I did watch it. So, yeah. I imagine, though, you know, that, that that is the condition of the bridges around here that we drive over. And we don't necessarily know um, what we're driving over when we do that. Yeah. And there's just such a, a huge potential for so many new jobs in the area, you know, is, is what it sounds like. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, whether they're green jobs or infrastructure jobs, I mean, it just sounds like there's just such a huge potential and it's just not being met because of the continual, you know, I mean, would it, I, I read that in 2010 and 2012, there was only one candidate in the race and he raised over $2 million each time. Uh, and so it's kind of just like a Republican placeholder for your state Senate. Sure. I mean, people can buy that seat. That's what that mm. is. So um, if nobody is running and it's not worthwhile to run for the seat, then that's that's a position that um, someone like, say, hmm, Betsy DeVos <laughs> can purchase <laughs> to do her bidding. And, and actually, that is who has uh, attempted to purchase the seat this time. My opponent has gotten uh, money for, for from these charter school lobbies. 
Um, the Cokes are heavily into the charter school lobby, the Commonwealth Foundation. I walked past that building, which was exactly across from the Capitol building in Harrisburg. Um, I walked past that a couple of weeks ago and noticed the placement of it. And they had these big signs, you know, about education and every child deserves this. And they don't say they're charter schools, but that's what they are. The charter school lobby is just there to, you know, get rid of workers' rights, basically, because they get resistance from unions. And what do you have in every rural town? Uh, teachers. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's why they're after the teachers. You've been a public school teacher, and so you I know was. this. And and it just seems like they find these rural seats that no one is going to run against, and everyone is just sort of downtrodden mm -hmm. and, and upset you know, and disenfranchised and disillusioned and go in, spend the money, buy the seat and pack the Senate um, in their favor. And it's terrible yeah. because then your, you know, the constituents there in District 25 do not get representation for anything. And it's it's terrible. And so I'm really glad you're running uh, against Chris. That's exactly Chris, right. Uh, <laughs> D-U-S-H. Uh, looks like yes. it looks like douche to me, but. Could be Dush, whatever it is, Chris. Um, and he's not the incumbent, right? But uh... no, he's. He, but he, hmm. I I haven't found this out yet. He he worked for a state correctional institute. He was military, then state correctional institute, and I believe he was old enough that he would be collecting a pension from that. And um, then he was a state representative. He was going to run for two terms because that's what everybody wanted so that he didn't collect a pension. And um, he ran for three, and now he would like to um, possibly collect a third pension <laughs> from state Senate. I don't know. Actually, I don't know that he's collecting all of those. I, I know the potential is there that he could have taken advantage of that, and I'm assuming he did. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past a Republican to triple dip into the government. <laughs> so. <laughs> But in the meantime, they don't want teachers to have pensions. <laughs> this is the campaign, the rallying cry. Yes, no, it's unsustainable. They don't need pensions. Mm. So um, mm. <laughs> everything should be privatized. This is the new right-wing Republican thing is to privatize everything. So this is the charter school lobby. Um, privatize everything. Get rid of unions. Pay people a, a very low amount, although they always say we want to pay them what they're worth. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Not, not, not the, it's a very dark uh, vision for our area. I, I don't see their plan being helpful to anyone who lives in a rural area. Uh, we can't just throw everybody online for schooling. Mm -hmm. um, the kids need to be in schools. Now, right now during the pandemic, we need the online schooling because, you know, it's a safety issue. But, in, in, you know, in normal times, um, they they need they need that socialization and interaction and um, oh and his vision is also it, it's dark in so many other ways but um, I, I'll leave it at that I suppose um, <laughs> legalization of marijuana he's against that he was he was against the medical marijuana he was against statute of limitations reform for um, victims of child sex abuse I do not know why he was one of only five to vote against <laughs> that. Um, who does that? Yeah. Who who thinks that's good? Um, the guy who called the governor a Nazi for imposing restrictions during the pandemic. Mm. That guy. The guy who had the reopen r rallies. That guy. Um, 
I, I could say so much more, but, um, and he's very nice. I've met him. I've, I've met, actually, I just ran into both of them at a fall festival, both the incumbent Scarnati and Dush at a fall festival. And they're very pleasant in person, nice. Um, but the, the, the actions just, um, they're not representing us. We, we need, we need some contested elections here so that people have actually have to compete for votes and people here will pay attention to who they're voting for and why. Uh, unfortunately, the, the polls are only crowded every four years. Mm, well, this is one of those years. I think it's going to be crowded. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he's at least nice. But, you know, a douche by any other name? Uh, <laughs> no, we won't go there. Now, uh, what I would like for you to do is to let my listeners know where they can help, where they can volunteer, where they can contribute to your campaign, text bank, phone bank, write postcards. How can they help? Where do they go? Okay. So um, my website, um, let me see, my email is, no, sorry, it's all wrong on here. So it's friendsofmargiebrown.com for my website. There's actually another site as well. Um, and that, that should do it. Friends of Margie That's actually also my email. That's why I was a little bit mixed up. There's also Margie Brown for PA Senate. Um, so yeah, Margie Brown for PA Senate.com or friends of Margie Brown.com. It's M-A-R-G-I-E and the color Brown. So that's my name. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Oh, also, I just want to say, A.G., and you may know this already, <laughs> this area is so beautiful right now, and I am so lucky to get to drive around and look at the PA wilds and all of the beautiful leaves and just, it's, this is majesty. And I can only imagine this becoming like Colorado in terms of tourism and legalization and just all of the great things about this area. We have all of the natural resources. We have all of the natural wealth right here and we get none of it back. They just use us here. So I just want to throw that in. That's so sad to hear. Well, I am so glad you're running the unsinkable Margie Brown. That's what I'm calling you. And everyone, you heard where to find out and help her campaign. And I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me today. She's running for Pennsylvania State Senate District 25. Thanks, Margie Brown. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. I'm such a big fan. (laughs) We love you, too. Uh, Everybody stick around. I will be right back with the... uh, the incomparable Barb McQuaid to discuss some things about Bill Barr and the DOJ and and Pennsylvania ballots. You might want to stay tuned, Margie. We'll talk uh, right after this break. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by PayPal. These are difficult times. We have a lot of new challenges that we're facing. And things may have changed around us, but our inner drive to be there for the people we care about runs deeper than ever. It's crucial to stay involved and support our loved ones and our friends and families, and also organizations that support us. When we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change, and we're finding new ways to connect and continue supporting one one another. And we've started social distancing when we spend time with friends or explore local cuisine or go to the farmer's market. And we're doing more to support and advocate for underrepresented communities as well. So what we need more than ever is an easy way to support each other from far away. And for me, that solution is PayPal. With the PayPal app, sending and receiving money is faster and easier. Stay connected with the people you love and quickly and securely send money to friends and family just about anywhere in the world. 
You can start a money pool to split a bill or go in on a gift or fundraise for a good cause. With PayPal, you can support the places and causes you care about the most. Recently, I donated to Act Blue, and I was able to do so, say, you know, sending financial support to them. And I also was able to send some money to a friend of mine who's in need right now. And with PayPal, I can instantly donate to a local nonprofit or I can support a cause from across the country. With PayPal, you can even make touch-free QR code payments at your favorite local restaurant or farmer's market. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly, and easily. So download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss Pennsylvania ballots and the Department of Justice is MSNBC legal analyst, University of Michigan law professor, and former U.S. attorney, Barb McQuaid. Barb, thanks for speaking with me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Ag. It's great to talk to you again. It's been a while. So last month... Uh, Barr's Justice Department issued a press release announcing an investigation into whether local elections officials illegally discarded nine mail-in military ballots in Pennsylvania. So first, it's weird for the Justice Department to give out press releases about ongoing investigations. Is is that not, I mean, that's just standalone weird. Uh, it's not only weird, it's contrary to DOJ media policy, which is ingrained into every U.S. attorney to say the following words, it is the policy of the Department of Justice to neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation. Now, there are rare exceptions where necessary to assure the public, like there's been a terrorist attack in your community. You're allowed to say we're on it. You know, we're investigating this thing. Um, but ordinarily, you don't talk about a pending investigation because it might not lead anywhere. You might be uh, violating someone's right to a fair trial. You might be putting people under a cloud of suspicion. You might even compromise your own investigation because you'll tip off people that you're investigating. And so people will get their stories straight and tamper with evidence and intimidate witnesses. So for a whole host of reasons, it is uh, a strong policy to not comment on a pending investigation. You speak through your charging documents when you charge a case through its indictment. That's how you speak about it. And at that time, you might see an announcement. But before then, it's inappropriate and contrary to DOJ policy. Mm, yeah, that's why we call them speaking indictments. And I remember Mueller saying in his report and and when he testified to Congress that the whole reason he didn't even go to he didn't even want to call Trump a criminal or that he committed obstruction of justice was because it could taint future juries and future prosecutions. And, you know, and I mean, it's just it makes sense that you that that would be the policy. And, and like you said, it's been that way forever. Yeah. And um, it's um, you, you will not see that uh, press releases that say the Department of Justice is investigating X or is investigating Y. You will see that they've charged on rare occasion. You might see that they've declined charges, but typically you don't announce that you're even investigating. And one of the reasons for that is um, if someone calls and says, do you have an investigation on candidate X? And you say, no, 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 we don't. And then the next time you call and say, do you have a can- a- an investigation on candidate Y? And you say, no comment. Then a reporter might infer from that difference of treatment that you do have an investigation about candidate Y. And so for that reason, you don't confirm either that you are or that you are not investigating somebody because sometimes political opponents will uh, play games with that to make it appear that someone's under investigation when they're not. And so if it's your standard policy just to never comment about whether there is or isn't an investigation, then um, everybody gets treated the same and nobody can draw an adverse inference from your failure to comment. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, going a little bit further, uh, this announcement last month seems at odds 
with Barr's own policy via a memorandum he penned last May. Can you tell us about that memo and and how that works into this? Yeah, so uh, it appears that this announcement violated not only that standard process uh, policy not to confirm or deny the existence of an investigation, but this is what is commonly referred to as an election year memo. And typically every attorney general issues one of these in an election year. And it just reminds prosecutors of their obligations under the law. It's, it's actually pretty standard, but it advises prosecutors and DOJ employees, reminds them of the Hatch Act, the training they've had not to engage in partisan political activity and kind of the rules on that. But it also talks about not making statements or taking operational action near an investigation because you don't want to do anything that might have the consequence of affecting an investigation. And so it says that uh, law enforcement officers um, may never select the timing of public statements, whether attributed or not, investigative steps, criminal charges, or any other action in any matter or case for the purpose of affecting an election or for the purpose of giving an advantage or disadvantage to any candidate or political party. And uh, that's the policy that uh, I think was violated in addition to um, commenting on an ongoing investigation in this Pennsylvania case by commenting not only that there's an investigation underway, but that the discarded ballots were in favor of, of Donald Trump. There's really no investigative reason to disclose that fact other than to advance this narrative that there is fraud going on in the election and it is designed and it will have the effect of harming Donald Trump. Yeah, that's sort of the key thing here. I mean, it all it's already against policy, but to add that, you know, that that detail in there that should bear no it, it, I mean, it has no bearing. Um especially this close to an election. So, if he's it seems clear to me he's violated his own memo and DOJ policy. What what are what can we do about it? What are the implications? What um what happens when the attorney general violates his own policy? Well, as a matter of, you know, criminal or civil liability, nothing really. But I do think that it is just one more example of William Barr uh, acting as President Trump's personal lawyer as opposed to the lawyer for the people. It's also been reported that not only did DOJ make this public statement through the U.S. attorney in eastern Pennsylvania, but that um, William Barr privately briefed President Trump about this, who then talked about it in the media. Uh, That, too, violates a, a different policy about Uh, communications between the White House and the Department of Justice. Um, And so the recourse really, I think, are twofold. One is um, the uh, the attorney general can be impeached for an abuse of power. I think in light of what we saw involving President Trump and the way Republicans in the Senate were willing to give President Trump a pass on his, what I believe was an abuse of power and impeachable conduct, it seems unlikely to me that the Senate Republicans would convict a, an attorney general, William Barr, for this abuse of power. So the other recourse, of course, is to uh, vote people out of office. In November, we have an election and the public has an opportunity to uh, consider this a referendum on the current administration. And so a vote is a way uh, that, that the American people can speak out about this at the ballot box. Mm. Yeah. And additionally, I think, you know, I learned a lot from the Mueller report. One of the things that I learned is a, a, a term of art, I guess, that is when, you know, when looking at these things, you have to look at the totality of the evidence. And this could be evidentiary in a future 
criminal investigation or prosecution of of crimes, civil or criminal, uh, you know, perpetrated by Bill Barr, uh, because I think this kind of goes to establishing a pattern of behavior of, you know, like being a sycophant to Donald Trump or acting as his personal attorney. Could this be used as a piece of evidence to establish a larger pattern of behavior in a future uh, case, maybe? Sure. You know, every nugget of information can always be useful in future cases. You know, I don't think we're anywhere near there yet. But if at some point there was some sort of allegation of a conspiracy to defraud the United States by interfering with the fair administration of elections, you know, we're a far cry from that. But if there were at some point, then this could be one piece of evidence that um, could support uh, that uh, intent that uh, or even such an agreement. Yeah. Or like, I think intent is something like one of three parts that you have to establish obstruction or I mean, there's I think that it could go toward a lot of things. But in and of itself, it is not a crime or something that could be put up for civil litigation. No, I think it's really just a violation of of, of duty of the independence of the Justice Department. And as Barr said himself, it's so important that the Justice Department employees safeguard the reputation of the department. I mean, one of the things that I was always taught when I was there is that I had a responsibility to protect the reputation of the Department of Justice for its integrity. That when I walked into court and said, Barbara McQuaid, on behalf of the United States, I received respect and credibility that I did not earn, but that was the way was paved for me by all the people who came before me. And I had a duty to make sure that I safeguarded that reputation for all the people who would come after me. And so for William Barr to violate uh, that sacred trust um, is, is to undermine the independence of the Department of Justice and to harm the department going forward. You know, not only is he violating his duty right now, um, he is harming it in a way that could have long-term effects on the ability of the Justice Department to do its job effectively. Mm-hmm. He, he even said himself a lot of times the president makes that impossible to do. So uh, I, I appreciate you coming on today and explaining this to us, legal ins and outs. Um, MSNBC legal analyst, University of Michigan law professor, former U.S. attorney, Barb McQuaid. Again, Barb, thanks so much for, for talking this out with me. You bet. Thanks, A.G. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be back with the good news with Dana Goldberg. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. During these economically turbulent times, everyone's looking for a way to feel more financially secure. So if you're still needlessly throwing money every month at high interest credit card debt, it's time you checked out Upstart. It's the revolutionary online lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score. So now is the time to find out how low your Upstart rate can be, and they help you pay off high interest credit card debt. Unlike other lenders, Upstart can reward you based on your education and job history of who you are in the form of a smarter interest rate. You don't need a degree or diploma to apply, though. Upstart lets you skip going to the bank because it's completely online, so you stay home safe. They offer loans from $1,000 to $50,000, so you can consolidate your debt in one easy fixed-rate payment. Upstart makes it fast and simple to check your rate. It's just a soft pull, too, so it won't affect your credit score. You don't have the hard pull until you accept the rate and proceed with your application. The best part? If the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards to meet their financial goals. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt and get back to using your money the way you want with Upstart. See why Upstart has a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate could be. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Your loan amount will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Not all applicants will qualify for the full amount. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're- 
I am so happy to be at the good news portion of this show today. Joining me is Dana Goldberg. Dana, how are you? You know, I am just as happy to be joining you. How am I? I'm exhausted, and I'm. I know that some of these stories are going to be a pick me up. Uh, so there. Oh, I did get my mail and ballot in the mail, so that felt exciting, and I feel like I'm ready to get this back into a box very quickly. I just got mine today, and so yeah. I'm. I'm. I can't wait to open it, crack it open, and save the country. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for sending in your good news stories and your confessions and your corrections. You can do that by headed, heading to uh, dailybeanspod.com and clicking contact. That's where you send it all in. So I'll kick us off if that's cool with you. You, you absolutely, as long as you can help me with a couple names and the one following. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Although, uh, you know, Jordan used to uh, co-host before she she left to go to school. She's getting her um, master's in social work, which I'm so proud of her. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. But beforehand, she, uh, you know, she would have a hard time pronouncing some of the harder names. And so people would actually, people would actually send in difficult to pronounce things just to have her read them on the air. So. Because some people are so assholes. That's hysterical. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a gift. And uh we all had a good time well i'm sure you all get a good laugh of uh the next one so you kick it off and then we'll keep on going all right here we go the first one's from courtney pronouns she and her and she says i wrote in with good news back in the spring i am the cheat king episode awesome uh that i had discovered via 23andme that i have an older half sister who'd been given up for adoption without my dad being notified oh my gosh uh, well, this August, my new sister had to bring her daughter, my niece, to college in Colorado. My folks decided to come out for a very careful COVID-aware visit and first meeting. We met, did photos, and I'm sending in a picture as promised. Me, my sister, and our dad. By the way, probably the most progressive dad in the United States right here. He doesn't hold back in trying to school the MAGA, <laughs> the MAGA people around him. With all the awful things that are going on in the world, family continues to be a bright light through the darkness. Keep up the wonderful work, AG and team. Cheers, and see you at happy hour. AG, look how beautiful this picture is. Plus, their dad looks like a guy that I'd want to sit and talk to over some whiskey and just laugh. He looks like mm -hmm. a, just a kind, a kind man. Mm, that beard has stories, I bet. Totally. I've seen things. I love this. It's nice to have a good 23andMe story. It's amazing how many people I know that are like, yep, found out I had a sister. I'm like, what? Mm, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> what a beautiful family. It is. All right. This next good news is from Josh Ua. I mm -hmm. like the way they wrote that out. Um, no pronoun specified, but uh, I live in the border. This is where I need your help. I live in the border of Kiwaga and Kuhoga. <laughs> what I'm in the hell? Let, I'm just going to let Come that lie. Come on. Kaga and Kaga. Kayaga. Kayaga? Yeah, there's and many different ways to pronounce it. We, we, some people say Kayahoga. We said Kaga. Uh, there's also Kayahaga. Um, What's the first one? Gaga. Gaga. Gaga and Kayahoga. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. Everyone is laughing right now. Just fuck off. Um, actually, just be nice when you send in corrections, please. I'm a very delicate flower these days, and I'm a comedian, so my skin is super thin. Okay. <laughs> just like I live it should on the border be, right? of, of, of Lady Gaga and Kawahoga counties. Kawabunga. You know? Lady Gaga. In, in Ohio. <laughs> Lady Gaga and Kawabunga. We'll yes, I'm sure AG is familiar. <laughs> yeah. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Whew. And I work as a bus driver and lunchroom monitor at a local school, which is terrific as an out non-binary human, awesome, as I can be a good example and mentor in the LGBTQ resources desert. I love it. I live in the more liberal Chagrin Falls area, that one I got, which is a great name. Chagrin Falls area. I know, like, mwah. I know, <laughs> where I see mostly Biden signs, although occasionally cues. Cue signs as well. Terrifying. But on my bus route, I travel out into the back country of Quega, Quega County, and the signs get more and more Trumpy the further I go, including a lit up life size standee of the Orange Menace and a Trump 2020 no more bullshit flag. Good wait, Lord. wait, wait. No more bullshit. He's the president. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very confusing. They're confusing people. Uh, the good news. This is the good news. I had a notable exception. Excuse me. I, uh, a notable exception is a farm that has a big Biden sign on its barn and numerous flags and signs in the yard. However, one must have been stolen earlier in the week because as I passed by on my afternoon bus route, I saw the owner putting up a hand-painted sign which read, Stealing signs does not change the vote. That's fantastic. <laughs> I honked to him from the bus and gave him a thumbs up. It just brought a smile to my face, especially in this very red rural area. Josh Uwa, thank you so much for doing the Lord's work, really. I appreciate mm. it. Good. And the Lord Midwestern can be anyone you want. And uh, I just want to apologize again for the pronunciations <laughs> of all my Ohioans listening. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country, especially right now. All leaves are turning. Midwest. It's gorgeous. Oh. It's absolutely gorgeous. Next up from Adrian, pronouns she and her. In spite of most office jobs in Canada being work from home, mine has gone back to work. I think it's irresponsible and takes advantage of us as employees in a tenuous economy. I, I agree. But I'm a manager now, and I'm using my position of relative security and access to the higher ups to advocate for the employees who can't. It hasn't worked yet, but I will keep trying. Oh. Also, Doug, our puppy, is now four months old and is 40 pounds. He's going to oh be God. a chonker. Look how cute Doug's face is. Oh, yeah. Look at those feet. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a big, big boy. Is, Doug looks like he might be a, a lab rot mix, which is just adorable. Mm, I'm not sure, but yeah, could be. All right. So cute. All right. Next good news is from Margie Brown. Uh, I have a confession. When people ask me who my opponent is, I spell his name for them. D-U-S-H. <laughs> Even if I trusted myself to say it correctly every time, I don't want to rob anyone of the joy of sounding it out themselves. When they take a guess and ask if that's right, I just shrug and tell them their guess is as good as mine. (laughs) So Margie Brown is running for Pennsylvania State Senate uh, in the 25th District. I interviewed her today, earlier in the show. Oh, wow. Um, I've given her the nickname The Unsinkable Margie Brown. And uh, her name went viral because there's a, a sign went viral. A Joe Biden sign went viral that says um, rural, not stupid. Joe Biden 2020. And, uh, 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 you know, uh, flanking that sign are two signs for Margie Brown for Pennsylvania oh, nice. State Senate. Her fucking opponent is named Chris Douche. And oh, my God. When I'm interviewing her, because what happens is we set up all these interviews for the Flip It Blue segment. And then my staff will send me like a, a, a fact sheet, what district, who their opponent is, whether they're incumbent, etc. And I'm, I get on the phone with her. I'm like, is it douche? And she's like, I say D-U-S-H. So, um, 
<laughs> I mean, it looks like uh, douche to me. Yeah, a, d- a douche by any other name. No one's last name is Dush. Come on. Dush. I said Dush. <laughs> it reminds me of when I worked at a hotel and we had this guest who would keep frequenting. His name, his last name was Wiener, but it was printed, it was spelled W-E-I-N-E-R. So I would say it in the German way. I would always call him Mr. Weiner. And he never corrected me. So either he appreciated it or I was actually right. But I... <laughs> I, I, you know, you always go with that. I always go with the safe until they correct you. I have a comedian friend. Uh, before we get to the next one, I have a comedian friend. Her name's Lisa Koch. Very, very funny uh, musical comedian. We travel all over the world together, or used to. <laughs> um, but she, it's spelled K-O-C-H. So as you can imagine, like when she played sports, it was like, you know, Goldberg on deck, cock in the hole. Like, and everyone would giggle because they would not <laughs> They would, announce, they would announce it and get it wrong. Uh, but yeah, so she had to deal with that her entire life. There's a good news block for you. Keep going. Awesome. All right. Names, funny names. The Saturday Night Live sketch, by the way, oh. this past weekend with the Edith Puthy and Irma Gerd and the, the name change on the third floor. <laughs> the name change bureau or whatever. I need to rewatch it. That was a delightful sketch. All right. Next up, from Patrick, pronouns he and him. This is good news about my small city of Norwalk, Connecticut. I signed up to be an election day poll worker because the usual seniors shouldn't this year. I was told by the registrar of voters that over 200 people requesting that over 200 people requested to help. Even better is that most of these people will be working on the mail-in ballot system, which is a month-long commitment. Due to being fortunate enough to still have a full-time job, I cannot do that, but I stand ready to help on election day. More good news is that I received and returned my VBM vote-by-mail ballot to Town Hall. Voted all Democrats, of course. Thank you for bringing attention to local down-ballot issues with the Flip It Blue segment. Um, By the way, there will be a supplement to the newsletter this Wednesday with a rundown of the Flip It Blue candidates so far. So keep an eye out for that in your feed, patrons and Supercast subscribers. We send that to you out on Mondays. Very nice. All right. This next one is from Lori, pronouns she and her. At my annual lady exam in August, I mentioned in passing that I thought was a non-issue. The doctor thankfully erred on the side of caution and took an endometrial biopsy. The biopsy came back atypical, which sent me into a whirlwind of tests and outpatient procedures to confirm malignant uterine cancer. Now, being postmenopausal, the best option was a full-blown hysterectomy. Happy to say that I had my follow-up appointment today. They had removed the 1.2 centimeter tumor with uterus. The sentinel lymph nodes uh, they removed showed no cancer, and the ovaries, fallopian tubes, and cervix were unremarkable. All this boils down to no need for chemo or radiation. Whoo! Happy day, happy day indeed. But, Lori, I would like to say I bet your ovaries and fallopian tubes are quite remarkable, no mm-hmm. matter what the doctor says. I bet they're mm-hmm. beautiful. But I am very, very happy to hear that you are uh, don't need chemo radiation. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yes. All cervixes or services, cervi, I don't know. I've only ever had one. What's the plural <laughs> for cervices? Services are r- remarkable. They're all remarkable. Congratulations. That's incredible. That's, what, what a relief, you know? It's a deep, we all need to be able to have things to take deep breaths and exhale about, you know, right now that is definitely one of them. Yes, absolutely. So thanks for sending that in. That's such good news. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her last winter, a few months before the shutdown, my just turned seven year old daughter and I started volunteering with a local cat rescue organization. We even adopted a sweet little polydactyl kitty from here, from there in February to replace our beloved Maine Coon who died last year. Aww. 
My daughter is a major animal lover, and we're really bummed when the pandemic hit in mid-March and we couldn't volunteer anymore. We were so grateful that we had recently adopted our new kitty, as he provided a lot of fun and entertainment during these otherwise bleak times. During the shutdown, my daughter spends loads of times on PetFinder.com looking at animals and learning about different animal breeds. It was good preparation for when we adopted our puppy over the summer. Uh, Fast forward to this past week... And we finally got to volunteer again, visiting the rescue kitties for the first time in over six months. This was going to be my good news submission. But then something even more exciting happened just now. My daughter was taking a break from her remote schooling. And of course, looking at PetFinder.com was utterly amazed to see a picture of herself on the website. Our cat shelter had used one of my photos in the adoption listing for one of the cats. The photo was the one I'd posted on a volunteer Facebook group and showed my daughter holding one of the kitties. Of course, my daughter was cropped out of the pet finder listing, listing, so my daughter only recognized herself by seeing a tiny portion of her face of her face mask in the background. But we were so excited. It was like walking into Times Square and seeing yourself on a billboard or seeing yourself on the cover of a magazine. I'm sending along some photos of our pets along with a photo that launched her stardom. Thanks for all you do. So all right, let's take a cute. Oh. Look at how cute. Now listen, I'm not a cat person, but Smokey is adorable. Oh, and look at Marlo. Oh, oh Smokey with the with the, know, the bow tie. The bow tie. Oh <laughs> my god. Aww. And there's the picture of her holding the kitty. Oh, hello. So oh, she's got bootstraps. Republicans would be happy. Oh my god. Amazing. Amazing. And uh I do have to tell you <laughs> talking about learning about breeds of animals and stuff when my goddaughter was like 3 or 4. We would have like show her flashcards of dog breeds, right? And she knew them all, and and it was insane how smart she was. And we're you know we would walk down at Mission Bay Park, and uh, at one time we saw this guy with a golden retriever walking towards us. So we ask Lily, "Oh, what kind of dog is that?" And the guy goes, "Uh, it's a golden retriever." <laughs> my friend oh my was god. like, "Yeah, we were asking the three year old." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, dudes. Anyway, I I do, I don't know why it bothers me so much when parents answer for their children that are capable of answering questions. Like if I'm asking a child a question and their parent answers, I'm like, you must be miserable to live with. <laughs> like that's really my thought. I don't know, but maybe if I was, I don't know, maybe if I was a parent, you know, I uh, my girlfriend has a couple of kids, but. Maybe if I, you know, birthed them, I would be different about it. But I just feel like they can speak for themselves. They're old enough, then let them talk. Let them talk. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. Anyway, Laska's new story is a short one, but it is a good one. In fact, I, I pre-read it and I, I started tearing up. I seriously need a vacation. Okay. Oh. This is from Eleanor, pronouns she and her. My parents celebrated their 38th wedding anniversary last week. Without knowing beforehand, they got each other the same adorable card with this message. If I had my life over, if I had my life over again, I would find you sooner. Love everything. Love everything. Look how sweet that is. They got each other the exact same card. I mean, come on. You know how many different anniversary cards there are in the store? Ugh. I can't. Do you like pina coladas? That's a weird pina song. In the rain. I know it is super. I mean, it's we're just celebrating. They're cheating on each other. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, you were gonna cheat on me. I was gonna cheat on you. Hell cool, yeah! Cool, cool. That High makes five. me hot. You want to go have sex? Great. <laughs> I'm not into yoga. <laughs> I am into champagne. All right. 
I love that. 38 years. Oh, one can only Congrats. hope. Congrats. Congratulations. Me. Congratulations. That's so great. That's so adorable. Ah, uh, all right. Anyway, thank you guys for sending in your good news stories and confessions. And this, I, I don't, I didn't see any confessions today. I don't think, but you can send them in and your corrections again, dailybeanspod.com and click contact. And your good news stories can be personal or political. And you can start doing what everyone else has been doing: send in a good news story and then send in a totally unrelated pit, picture of your pet. Um, we're, we're that's <laughs> hilarious. We're happy to accept those and we put them in the <laughs> newsletter, unless you tell us not to. So. Thank you so much. You have anything you want to add before we get out of here, Daniel? No, you know, I just it can you know, I know you always do your sign off, but we're in the home stretch people, so just continue to breathe. Uh, and uh if you know, just follow the just follow the voting instructions. That's it. If you can vote early and safely do it, just do it. Yep. 100%. Everybody, till tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Take care of the planet and seriously, take care of your mental health. I've been AG and I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>